0: um we don't have habitats for them on the surface of mars you know humans the apollo missions those astronauts were outside of earth's gravity well um for about a week they were in deep space for about a week at most and it's you know mars missions are years
1: So hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I am talking to Eric Berger, who is the senior senior editor at Ars Technica, the senior space editor, I have to say, and author of a brand new book about SpaceX. So welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you very much, Josh. No problem. So yes, as as we were talking about before, uh, before we got on, SpaceX is uh, it seems like an inevitable success and in a huge um, multi billion dollar company now. But I mean that that wasn't always the case. So when you start with where you heard about SpaceX um, and what first got you interested in even just like looking or writing about them,
0: right? So SpaceX has been around since two thousand and two, but you know I really didn't start paying attention to them um, until much later. Um, it was really about two thousand and ten. Period when they first launched their Falcon 9 rocket. Um, and I and I covered space for, mo- for most of that period and really got interested in them in, in 2016. That was the time at which they landed um, their rocket on an autonomous drone ship for the first time. Um, it was really quite stunning to see that, that first stage come back out of space, drop up, you know, drop down. And there's this small, you know, ship in, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and it just you know, pops, lands right down on it. And, and that was wild. Like I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. And it really got me wondering, you know, how they did it and wanting to better understand, you know, why they had been successful where so many other companies had failed. Um, And so uh, I'd started doing a little more research. And then in 2019, I got really serious about writing the book. Mm that that image
1: when when i first saw them them landing the rocket i i will actually never forget when when you got to so i heard someone describe it especially one where they landed uh, on the the platform in the ocean as landing uh, it's like dropping dropping a pencil from the top of the empire state building and trying to land it a racer up on a postage stamp
0: it's uh... i think that's i think that's exactly right and you might want to throw in there like in the middle of a hurricane or something because <laughs> you know it's coming back through space at at or the upper atmosphere at several times the speed of sound. And and the really technically challenging part of that actually is relighting the engines um, in the supersonic environment. If you can imagine like the rocket, you know, is, is, is like it's, it's engine first sort of screaming through the atmosphere and it's gotta, it's gotta figure out how to light its engines in that kind of environment and then not blow up in the process. It's, it's an enormous challenge. Yeah.
1: Why do you think, what, in your opinion, was was like the driver behind trying to start that start the company in the first place?
0: Right. So Elon was pretty clear about that. You know, he he originally wanted to see humans, you know, settle on Mars like he wanted humans to literally, you know, he talks about it becoming a multiplanetary species. He's not like larking around. He's, he's pretty serious about that. Um, and he thought originally he thought the way to do it was through NASA, Um, he thought if you got more budget for NASA, they would be able to, you know, build a transportation system to go to Mars and, you know, they would take it from there. Um, but as he did more research into it, you know, and realized, and this was, this was back in 2001 when he was, you know, wanted to do this little experiment where he would send a small biosphere to Mars, um, and have like plants growing. Um, In this biosphere on the surface of Mars. And he wanted to have a webcam that would stream this back to Earth. And he thought that would inspire people to fund, you know, to to provide more funding for NASA. It was pretty naive. Um, And he realized as well that even if NASA got more funding, the way the US space industry was going, um, the price of launch was not going down, it was going up. Um, and then NASA would not even, you know, would not be able to afford any kind of Mars exploration program, even if it got more, more of a budget. Um, and he got pretty frustrated as he looked at what Lockheed and Boeing were charging in terms of, of rocket launches. And he figured there's a better way to do this. Um, and the first step toward, you know, getting a settlement on Mars is really bringing down the cost of launch. Um, so he said, I'm going to see if I can do it better and faster. And, and that was the genesis of SpaceX.
1: I've I've heard the story that he he did he finally did the maths on a flight back from Russia where he tried to buy an intercontinental ballistic missile. <laughs>
0: it's, it sounds yeah. like something
1: out of a out of a TV show.
0: Well, you know, he had he went over there several times, and he says that they they were never really serious about it. You know, some of them were pretty disrespectful, and he said every time he would thought he was getting close to a price, and so this was just he wanted to buy an old ICBM from Russia to launch this, this, this tiny, you know, biosphere to Mars who had one team of people working on the biosphere and he was himself trying to procure the rocket launch. Um, and, and he said the price just kept going up every time he got close to negotiations. And so he realized that they weren't really serious about it, selling it to him and, and that there was probably a better way to do it anyway. Ultimately, I don't think that launching the biosphere was his motivation for founding SpaceX. I think it was his general frustration, with the state of the space industry, both in the fact that he could not buy like a commercial launch in the United States for any, any kind of reasonable price. I mean, if he wanted, at that time, it probably would have been $150 million. And so that's one reason why he went to Russia. And I think he felt frustrated by the fact that he had to go to Russia to find a commercial launch. Why, why was Russia, you know, um, a former communist state so much better at launching competitively than the United States was.
1: Mm, Why was
0: that? Um, Well, it's complicated and I don't want to go too deep maybe into space history, but, but, you know, NASA had decided in the 1980s and seventies, it was going to rely on the space shuttle. Um, and the U S military wanted its own independent access to space. So it had given contracts to Lockheed and Boeing to develop rockets. Um, and they essentially had a, a monopoly on those contracts and they didn't really have any incentive to drive down prices. And so, in contrast to what Russia and Europe were charging for their launch systems for, and, and, and we're talking about at this time, like the big market was like things like direct TV satellites going out to geostationary space. The U S companies just were not competitive because they were able to get so much money from the military for their satellite launches. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So Elon came along and decided that they were going to try and build reusable rockets. like why, why, why had no one tried this before?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so NASA had built the space shuttle and they did reuse parts of it during launch, but it, it was just really expensive. And it, it took a long time to, to turn around those vehicles. Um, entrepreneurs had come along with the idea of building low cost and in some cases, reusable rockets. Um and I, I say some of those in the book, but there, I mean, there's a bunch of examples, a uh, company like Amrock, Beal Aerospace, um, Microcosm, um, xcore you know, they had, they had a lot of them had talked the same way of, of, of Elon did like, you know, we should be the FedEx of space, right. Um, in terms of fast, relatively low cost delivery. Um, and, and they had all failed, and so the one of the surprising things about SpaceX is that they not only had this audacious vision that they were ultimately successful in uh, in carrying that out.
1: So why 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 did they why were they the ones who were successful? Like what what set the company apart aside from right, so that you, know, was, you know millions to to of, of Elon's own fortune to to like get it started but why were they the successful ones?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, he put 100 million dollars in the company and that seems like a lot of money but you know, Andy Beal, a Dallas banker, had put two hundred million into his company and, and gave it up after three or four years. So it's it's not just money. And that was one of the really things I was interesting and, and lo- interested in looking out and finding out, like why why were they successful? Why did they make it sort of through all these hurdles that had tripped up a lot of other companies? And you know, that's the question I would ask all of the the early employees that I talked to, dozens of them, and and the inis. Capable sort of primary answer is is Elon Musk himself um, because he had money which he put in yes but he also had had and has this enormous drive and so he would he would find really smart people um, engineers who were willing to work hard you know go out of his way to hire them and then was. Ex- you know, extremely good at motivating them either through incentive or fear or belief in the vision that he was, he was laying out. And so he would ask them to do almost impossible things and they would, you know, work day and night as hard as they possibly could to achieve that. And then he'd turn around and, you know, give them the next impossible thing that they were supposed to accomplish.
1: Is it, what do you think drives him personally to, 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 to just constantly say, well, you know, you've done this incredible thing. So, um, that's good. So next.
0: Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I don't know that I've ever met a person who's more driven than him in terms of his just, I think he wakes up every day thinking, how can we go faster um, or, or, or what's a better way to do this that no one's thought of and, and why, you know, why, why haven't we thought of that? Um,
1: when did you meet him? If you don't mind me asking,
0: I've, I i 1st met him in, in early 2018 and then a number of times since, um, but he, you know, he has this, he has this drive and, and I can't really explain it other than to say that like it's it's almost exhausting to be around him because he just like is constantly pushing the people around him forward. So it's 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 you know it's as I say it's 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 you have to attribute a lot of it to him and sort of his desire to be successful.
1: Mm. I mean, I've definitely heard that about about many people who sort of become wild successes in in any field i mean completely like unrelated but i was i was watching um that netflix documentary on um on michael jordan mm-hmm. recently uh the the documentary series and and that's that's the the the, the way that a lot of people talk about him that he, he okay he was the best or the the best player on the court or in elon's elon's case quite often the smartest guy in the room um but like what he drove other people to do was what ultimately ended up making him as successful as he became because he couldn't be the star by himself.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's right. I mean, he, Elon had a lot of help at SpaceX because he, he hired very well. Um, And he, he had a grand enough vision that he attracted some of the youngest and smartest aerospace engineers at the time, then as now um, to work at SpaceX. Um, And so that's certainly part of it. He, his HR, person told me that he was directly involved with the first 3000 hires at spacex you know most of them were engineers but he like he did the final interviews with them because he knew who he was looking for um and who he wasn't and so he didn't want to hire duds and he wanted to hire make sure the best people would come work for him Mm.
1: what's your first impression when you when you when you walk into spacex and then maybe even like when you get to get to do that, that interview with like the man himself, um, like what's, what's the, what's your, what's your first impressions upon like walking into that building even?
0: he's kind of a, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool place. Um, but he's kind of a, a tall gangly guy, like, you know, it's a little bit awkward. Um, but it's, you know, very intimidating. Like he's, you know, he's not just Elon Musk. He's like, he doesn't have time for BS or like, you know, small talk. It's like, you know, he's, he's pretty serious. Um, when you, when you talk to him now, he does, he's funny. He, t- he tells jokes and things like that, but, but not not, not right <laughs> off the bat. Right. I mean, you, you don't start out with a knock-knock joke or something like that. It's, he's, as I say, he's pretty serious. It's <laughs> pretty serious. I mean, you know, it's, you'd want to go have a beer with him, but during, you know, are having the beer the whole time? You might be a little nervous about saying something stupid. And he'd be like, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then, like, you know, you know, basically, you know, tune uh-huh. you out.
1: Mm. I mean, I guess that's what I love about the the interviews he does with Joe Rogan. Because, like, uh, Joe Rogan's not afraid of saying something stupid, which makes for some <laughs> brilliant conversation.
0: Yeah, and, I, and, it, and it helps, too, like, if if Elon is comfortable around you, right? If he knows you and, and sort of has a basic level of trust. Now, he does not like journalists, and I'm a journalist, um, but... You know, I've been doing this long enough that he understands where I'm coming from and, and you know, appreciates the fact that, that I, I know what SpaceX had to, to push through to accomplish what it's accomplished mm. you know, and sort of have a bigger picture grasp of the U.S., you know, our global space industry.
1: What do you think was their biggest obstacle that they had to push through? Like, what what was the biggest thing that they had to get by before they, they could say, okay, maybe, maybe it's going to be planar sailing from here.
0: I, I mean, the biggest thing that they had to do was get a rocket into orbit. Um, and they did that with the Falcon one, which was a single engine vehicle. And that turns out to be extraordinarily challenging you know, there's a bunch of startup companies today in the industry who are trying to do just that, and a lot of them are failing. Um, and so that was the, the huge technical challenge. The problem for SpaceX is that in 2002, no other private company ever built a liquid fuel rocket and launched it from Earth before. Um, they did what they were trying to do with private capital. So, you know, the the, the military base is where a lot of these rockets launch from You know, really didn't have much experience with the commercial company, the regulating, the regulatory agencies didn't have experience with the commercial company, the established companies, the Boeings, the Lockheed, the Northrop's were not welcoming, like they did not appreciate what SpaceX was trying to do to come in and be disruptive. And so there was just, they had to plow a lot of ground to even get to a launch site. And then they had all the technical challenges of of getting the rocket to orbit, and of course the first three launches failed, um, and so they were in real big difficulty.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen interviews w- with um, Elon Musk talking about how uh, if that fourth rocket had not gone well, that the things would potentially have been over. Um, so the whole goal, essentially, from from as as you mentioned at the start, is to get humans to be multiplanetary it's elon musk and spacex aren't the only people who believe that it's talked about by you know a reasonable amount of people as a as something that we like need to do why for like the the layman coming at this is that the case like what is so crucial about com- becoming multi-planetary like surely we should worry about this planet first before we go like jetting off to other ones
0: and and i think you know i think elon would absolutely agree with that and and one of the reasons he founded Tesla or, or was a part of Tesla was because he felt it was important to break humanity's addiction to fossil fuels. And so if you can build an electric car and then you can get your energy from the sun, then all of a sudden you've, you know, you've tackled one of the biggest problems facing the planet, but he also has existential fears. Um, you know, I it was Lord Martin Reese who like two decades wrote a book about how there's sort of all these threats facing humanity, right? You've got the obvious ones like nuclear weapons. Um, Climate change could destabilize society and civilization ultimately. Um, You know, you've got the threat of biogenic weapons. Um, And then, you know, it's just, you're not sure, like humanity's existence is confined to this one world. Um, and it's fairly precarious, and so if something bad happens to the planet or the life on it, it's game over. Um, and that's probably not going to happen in our lifetime, certainly, but it could. Um, and Elon is like, Well, I think humanity ought to have a backup plan. Um, and that doesn't mean we ought to trash Earth and, and all the rich people should get on a rocket ship and leave, it just means that you know he and, and, and I, le- and I think this way, and I think other people do think that humanity's destiny lies among the stars. And so, you know, one day, you know, we're going to go forward and find earth-like worlds around other stars and we'll figure out some way to get there, there, whether it's, you know, generational ships or cryogenic freezing or mm-hmm. faster than light travel, who knows, right? We don't know, but We're never going to get there unless we take the first steps. And and, and in Elon's mind, the best place for humans to make their first step off earth is on Mars. And so that's why he's been focused. I mean, he did, he did the numbers. And there are other places you could think about in the solar system where maybe it would be a little bit more hospitable for humans, like maybe in caves on the moon or maybe on Titan, where there's a pretty thick atmosphere um, or maybe one of the moons around Jupiter, or maybe in the atmosphere of Venus. Um, but, but you know, in terms of terrestrial planets, Mars is relatively close as planets go. Um, and it's got some building blocks to work with um, in terms of, of a very thin atmosphere and, and water ice. Um, so it's far from ideal. It's a very hostile place to try to survive. But you got to start somewhere.
1: Mm. So... One of the things that I was speaking to uh, a guy who who Houston Wade, who's involved in some planning for like space mining projects, um, I was I was speaking to him last week, and one of the things that he was sort of very ke- keen to emphasize about about space exploration is just how bad not being on Earth is for humans. Um, the, the the radiation in space, the 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 different like the lack of atmosphere, the lack of gravity. Um, even like down to like the soil content of of like different not very hospitable chemicals on 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 Mars. How much thought do SpaceX give to how long humans can actually survive outside of
0: planet Earth? Right. So if you're going to go to Mars, you've got to make Mars more habitable, mm. and initially that probably means living inside of domes, and then. You know, figuring out adaptability or trying to make you know ultimately terraforming it over decades or centuries—it's um, an enormous challenge. And I think I think their philosophy is that all of that is you know just chatter. It's just a discussion. It, it's it's not real um, until we have a way to get humans to Mars. Mm-hmm. And so the first step to making you know to making that a reality is to build the transportation system, right? Cause right now we have no way to safely get humans to Mars, let alone back. Um, we don't have habitats for them on the surface of Mars, you know, humans, the Apollo missions, those astronauts were outside of Earth's gravity well um, for about a week. They were in deep space for about a week at most. And it's, you know, Mars missions are years. So you got to have some way to get people there before you can ask, well, what the hell are you going to do on the surface of Mars or how are you going to survive there? And so, you know, he's building this starship vehicle in South Texas, which is kind of, you know, they did the Falcon one rocket and the Falcon nine, the Falcon heavy, it's the next iteration this much larger launch vehicle, fully reusable. And, and the idea is that they'll build the rocket and the spacecraft, um, figure out how to get people to Mars. And then, you know, once we get to Mars, you can start to sort of figure things out and yeah, it's going to be hard. um, And, but, but pioneers are pioneers, right? They, they, there are some people, maybe it's not me, you know, I have a pretty comfortable life here in Houston, Texas, but there's some people who want to be out there pushing forward the frontier um, and, and learning to live on, on sort of the edge of edge of the world. So, you know, to, to even, to, to begin answering those questions, you've got to figure out how to get there. And that's what, that's what SpaceX is. Ultimately it's a transportation company.
1: Mm. So they're just, the, 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 the idea is that, yeah, we have to, you have to build stage one to, to get to the the next questions. Essentially you have to, you have to unlock the first stage before you can get to the, the questions about how we're, how we're like going to live there long-term. Is there any talk of like artificial gravity stuff? Cause I've seen some startups like talking about this, but I've never seen it being like seriously discussed.
0: So um, Mars is one nice thing about Mars is it has about a third of earth's gravity. So there is enough gravity there. We think that human bodies could adapt to it fairly easily. And that's one good thing about Mars. Now, the question is, do you want to have artificial gravity, um, on the way to Mars, so your bones don't get weaker and you other have other, you know, health effects from that, which we've seen on the international space station. I think, I think SpaceX's answer is we should get there as fast as we can. Um, so, you know, five or six months, mm-hmm. but that's definitely, that's definitely an issue. Um, and and where artificial gravity think comes into more play is there's also an idea espoused by Jeff Bezos and other people that, no, we ought not to be living, on planets because, you know, the planets in the solar system aren't that good compared to earth. We ought to be living in these large orbital habitats. Um, and those would spin to have some kind of artificial gravity. Mm -hmm. But the fact is there's been very little research done by NASA or any other space agency or private company on on artificial gravity. So it's from a technological standpoint, we've got a ways to go.
1: So one of the one of the things that I find like difficult to, to, to get in my head is is when we're talking about building, for example, these huge, the the Starship that they're building to go to Mars. Is that going to be one hundred percent assembled on Earth, or is they are they going to be assembling it in in space?
0: That is one hundred percent assembled on Earth. And right now, the amazing thing about Starship is they're building that vehicle in tents um, in South Texas out of rolls of, of stainless steel. Um, and th- it's, it's, he's created this manufacturing process in South Texas. That is remarkable. It's something the space industry has never seen before. Um, and so they're, they're going through this test campaign. They're, they're blowing up starships. Yes. But the idea is that you would, you would build those on earth and then launch them. And then you would refuel them. Uh, so it takes a lot of energy for a vehicle like starship to get to orbit. Um, Around Earth, and then from there, less so. But but the idea is that you would get to Starship to orbit with with empty tanks, and then have a different Starship, basically Starship tanker, that gets to orbit with some fuel, and then offloads that fuel into the Starship carrying people or whatever, and then that goes on to the Moon or to Mars.
1: Oh, it's so my so so wild trying to think about this, Um, like because I know it's real, but in my head it's still also like
0: (laughs) sci-fi. Do you know what I mean? that's I think that's one of the reasons why people like what SpaceX is doing. Take you know take Elon Musk. Some people like him, some don't. He's certainly controversial. Um, he's certainly broken some eggs on his way to becoming successful. Um, strong-headed, um, but you know he does not see a future where like. So I'm 48, you know if SpaceX didn't exist, you know, I would be very skeptical of whether humans ever walked on Mars in my lifetime. And if they did, it would be like two to four people sort of that NASA sends there 20 years from now, you know, that's a pretty limiting future, um, for space exploration. And so what people like about Musk is that he sees the potential of much more than that. So he sees starships taking dozens of people at a time from earth to Mars and then landing them on mars and then some people come back and some people stay and that is a very much a sci-fi future but it's also within our grasp i mean they are literally building these vehicles and spacex has had enough success now with what it's done that you can't dismiss the possibility that maybe he's right
1: i mean they've definitely made more progress than anyone ever imagined was possible when they were first getting started so one of the things that um i was speaking to to the the space mining uh, guy about was that he was explaining essentially how he believes that the space race will unfold over the next 30 to 40 years um in that we'll have some sort of space wild west there's probably going to be attempts by some nations to militarize space that there's going to be like a rush to take advantage of all of the minerals metals um and things that you can get on on the moon he was talking about helium 3 um or h3 which, uh mm-hmm. yeah um he was talking about um iron ore finding asteroids around the the kuiper belt and um different parts of the of the solar system and he he essentially sort of envisioned once, once things get going, he believed it would kick off very quickly because the amount of money to be made from these minerals would be so unfathomably huge. Um, where do you see the space race going um, over the next in the like, what are the next stages of things? So we got, OK, we've got plans for a couple of like a couple of manned missions to Mars. Um, by SpaceX and and I think NASA are involved in one, as far as I'm aware. And um, there's like the race to be the first the first people to put someone on Mars. Like, what wh- what are the next steps? And uh, do you think after that?
0: I think in the near term, the race is actually to the moon. So you have NASA with its Artemis program, um, and they're partnering with SpaceX among other companies to to make sort of try to make human landing on the moon and have a more sustainable presence in the second half of this decade. Um, and that's a race between the United States and China, which is also very interested in that. And there's also sort of a geopolitical element to this in the fact that the United States is trying to get partners like Europe and Canada and the UAE and Australia um, and, and anyone else who wants to come along with Artemis. But China is trying to get partners from Europe and Russia and, and, and other places to go with them. Um, and so that's the near term. You know, Long term, I agree that, that there are lots of resources in space. And it could come through asteroid mining or through you know, lunar colonies or Martian colonies. It's not really clear. But once you know we figure out a way to economically harvest those resources and bring them back to Earth, and again, that could be rare Earth metals from an asteroid. It could be some kind of space-based solar power system where you're beaming electricity back to Earth. Um, it's, it's not cl- entirely clear to me what that will be, but once you do get to the point where there is money to be made in space, then you will see this enormous rush of activity. And I think one of the things that's really exciting about where we are right now um, with SpaceX, but also with other companies, is that for a long time, the gate or the limiting factor on all that opportunity was, was the cost of accessing space. And so if you could only launch you know, every six months for two or $300 million, you um, that's pretty limiting to your business plan. But if you can ride up on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket you know every month for, for 30 or 40 or $50 million, that opens up a lot of different economic activity. And so we're seeing launch costs come down through the u- innovation of reusable rockets. Um, and that is going to open up economic activity in space. And I think at some point we will hit a tipping point. We're not there yet. And I don't know what the economic activity will be. Um, but I, I do agree that, that once that tipping point is reached, it will be, it will really open up the floodgates.
1: Mm. And one of the things that's always sort of discussed as part of the the, the expansion to space is, uh, is space tourism. Now that's that's as long as I can remember, I have been mm. reading about how we're so close to space tourism. I used to have these like science folders that my cousin had given me. Called, I think they were called quest and it was just loads of like futuristic stories about science and tech and like trying to trying to envision what the world would be like and I, as far as I remember from then it was always like oh in 10 years we, we may have people like space tourism and uh, I'm constantly underwhelmed by the lack of options for you know going to to the ISS for my holidays and uh, constantly wondering if it's actually like a realistic possibility as part of the space race because that seems to be the thing that a lot of people focus on is like oh I assume we'll be able to send people into space and i'm like that that that's that's only gonna work for as many people as you can convince to do it for the astronomical price it's going to be it doesn't seem like a huge part of the of the space of the space experience or this like the the next stage of mm-hmm. our, our expansion as a as a species So how much, how much thought do do SpaceX and, and, and well yourself as well, think or put into whether space tourism is going to be a big part of it, or is it kind of just left to the, the, the media almost to speculate about something that's not that relevant to the industry?
0: That's a great question. And I think that story, we're only really beginning to write it. I do think we are on the cusp of, of seeing more space tourism, you know, in September of this year. So just in a few months from now and all civilian crew is going to launch on a crew dragon. So SpaceX's crew dragon There's this inspiration Four mission mm. where you've got four people, no astronauts, you know, entirely private mission in the low earth orbit. And so that's pretty remarkable. We've never seen anything like that. Um, another almost all private mission will be launching on crew dragon early next year. And they're going to visit the international space station. That's the ax one mission. And then blue origin probably within a month or two is going to put people on its new Shepard capsule for the first time. Um, That vehicle like Virgin Galactic is suborbital. So there's a big difference between going up for a few minutes of weightlessness, like you get with new Shepard, again, built by Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic Spaceship Two. Um, So so the suborbital trips are probably going to run 250 to $300,000, which is a lot of money. And it's basically like you go up, You have a few minutes of weightlessness. You look down on the earth and you see the sphere and it's very cool, but then you come back down. The suborbital, the the orbital flights by SpaceX are still like $50 million a person. So that's, that's really expensive. Um, And I don't see a whole lot of change in that over the next decade that this again is where Starship has the SpaceX vehicle. Starship has the potential to be a game changer because Starship, could launch both suborbital and orbital flights. And so one of the potential use cases for Starship is, is like almost like a a rocket powered airplane in that it takes off from South Texas and lands in Japan 45 minutes later. And as part of this, you actually go on a suborbital hop. So like you go up above space and come back down. And so you could have like that mission um, or like a, like a new, (laughs) new Glenn, or, or excuse me, a new shepherd or Virgin Galactic experience, but also like, points called point to point transportation. Um, and, and, and what's, what's unique about Starship is it's not like four people like around Virgin Galactic or six people on New Shepard. You could literally have like 60 people on Starship or maybe even more, you know, depending on on how they break out the, break out the seating because it's a very large vehicle. Um, and if that were the case, then, you know, you're minting several dozen astronauts on every flight and, point to point travel probably would be far less like, you know, thousands of dollars, not, not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So again, like starship is where a lot of our hopes I think are are being pinned in terms of space tourism. Mm.
1: Do you feel that's more of a gimmick though? Or do you think that's like uh, an industry that people will pay like serious attention to?
0: I don't know. Um, I do think, there's lots of interest in like being able to go halfway around the world in an hour. Um, you know, especially as we get out of the pandemic and the world is increasingly global. And so there's a lot of thought being given to supersonic travel. We're seeing a Renaissance in that with companies like Boom, who are supersonic, mm-hmm. but then starship offers a, a different approach. Um, there's lots of logistical issues to deal with and you've got to make the vehicle safe and that those are all serious, serious challenges. Um, but there's definitely some potential there. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Do you ever see the government essentially just taking their hands out of, the, of like space exploration as, a, as an entity? Do, do you ever see just it being entirely private um, space exploration? Or do you think there'll always be like a European space agency, NASA, there'll be like a Chinese program?
0: I think there will always be national space agencies. The question is, what will they be doing? And they'll be doing the things that aren't economically viable. Um, Like, like right now, there's no financial incentive to send rovers to Mars. And it's extraordinarily expensive to do that. You know, it's a $2 billion mission or whatever Perseverance is. And so, you know, no one is making a profit back for that, but the perfect for government space agency to spend $80 million to stick a small helicopter on Perseverance and then see if it flies like it did this morning with, um, with ingenuity. Um, So I think the government role is to be out there further and, and trying to find technologies, that maybe, you know, private companies then will commercialize. Um, but, but the, like the days of NASA building rockets are almost over because the private sector does it so much better. Mm. Now I'm keen to, to,
1: to, to how, how, how detailed can you go on that new style of engineering you were talking about in, in Texas, where they're, they're like using like rolls of sheet metal, like how, can you explain to me like what's revolutionary about that or and like what, what is yeah. so in, what's so special about it
0: so there's there's two basic methods of design engineering there's there's linear and and iterative and by and large the, the space industry has has operated through linear design so that means that You'll spend a while figuring out, okay, this is what, this is the kind of rocket or spacecraft we want. And then sort of, you know, spending years designing the hell out of that vehicle to make it look or or operate the way you want it. And then you sort of start to do some subsystem tests and then you build the different components and then you assemble them. And then 10 years later, you've got this enormously expensive vehicle. You've built one of them and you're going to fly it and you better hope it works because if it fails, you've got to spend two more years building the next one. Um, the good thing about that design method is that oftentimes the first time out, it does work because you spent so long, you know, you know, as I say, engineering it to death and figuring out all the failure modes. And, and, you know, there could be theoretically, there could be a hundred failure modes, but only one or two of them will actually get you in flight. Mm -hmm. So what SpaceX has done is they said, okay, it's all right to fail when we're, when we're developing these vehicles. Um, that's okay because it's going to allow us to go much faster. And so yeah, they'll do some engineering design and analysis, but but very early in the process they'll start building. Um, and they'll they'll once they get a prototype ready, they'll go fly it and the thing will fail, but they'll get a lot of data and they'll understand why it failed. Um, and then they'll build the next one better. and then they'll get data from that and maybe they'll go higher. Or maybe they're almost land, or maybe they'll do this and they'll learn about, okay, well, this was the problem there. So we can make it better. And so it's, it's instead of spending years and years doing this theoretical work, they're they're getting practical experience of data, like real world data from the vehicle. Um, and that just allows you to go much faster because you plow your learnings into new vehicles. And and the problem is for NASA for, for a traditional government contractor, it's 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 bad if stockholders see you fail, right? It looks bad. Congress doesn't like to see NASA fail. Um, but Elon Musk, very early on, said failure is an option at SpaceX, and he's lived up to that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think he said that, if, that, that when the, at the minute when they're doing a lot of the testing is that they're expecting it to crash. If it doesn't, they're incredibly happy. And they're, building yeah. it, they're essentially building it with the idea that it will crash, which seems insane. It's like you don't build a car with the idea it's going to blow up halfway around the track like yeah for sure so for you what's like the most do you have like a a fact about spacex that that is like the something that just you go no that can't be true or or you tell people and they're like what what or like what's your like most interesting or shocking fact about the company
0: sure so um so so since 2005, NASA has been developing the Orion spacecraft. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but this is the capsule that will go on top of the Space Launch System rocket and will carry four astronauts out to the moon and back. Um, and so it's, it's a little bigger than the Apollo capsules in the 1960s, but same kind of design, same kind of purpose going to the moon and back and, la- and landing in the ocean. Um, and it's it's modernized. But NASA has spent... 16 years developing the vehicle and more than 20 billion dollars and it's a boilerplate version the vehicle did one flight in 2014 and it has not flown yet again um, it may fly next year and, and, it, and it might fly humans in, in maybe three years so 16 years in, in 20 more than 20 billion dollars so we'll go back to 2005 and, and what SpaceX has accomplished, since 2005 for less money from all sources than NASA has spent on Orion. They've launched 120 rockets, right? They've developed the Falcon one Falcon nine Falcon heavy, and they're working on starship. They've delivered more than 20 supply missions to the international space station. They've launched two crews and are about to launch a third crew um, to the space station this week. Um, they have more satellites in orbit than any company or country in the world with the Starlink constellation. Um, they've done all of this groundbreaking work in, in reuse and, and reflight. Um, and so that is, the, that is the promise of commercial space versus the traditional way that the government and its, its contractors have operated. So, so SpaceX is just this absolute revolution in terms of 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 what the private sector can do in an ideal situation and again a lot of that is due to sort of the vision and the the action of of Elon Musk. Hmm. You almost forget about
1: the Starlink program as well. How close to to completion are they with that?
0: They're still far away. I mean they they want to eventually put thousands or tens of thousands of satellites and they have about 1400 on orbit right now. Um, But they've opened up a beta. And I think by the end of the year, almost everyone in North America will be able to use the service. So it's, it's, it's a lot closer, I think, than people realize.
1: That's really wild. Like anytime you talk about one of Elon Musk's projects, it really, really does sound like a Bond villain in the making. (laughs) Yeah, for
0: sure. Fortunately, he wants to, he generally, he, I I mean, I'm genuinely convinced he wants to, to help the world. Like, you know, he gets painted as as villain. And, and I mean, he, you know, he can be not, he can be a not nice person. Right. Um, for, for sure. Um, so, you know, is it say you got to take the good with the bad?
1: Mm, I couldn't agree more.
0: So what sort of time
1: scale Like, do you see us becoming that multi-planetary spirit series uh, species that we talked about? Um, are we talking 20 years?
0: Are we talking like 50 years? What do you think? Um, Elon wants it to happen in his lifetime and he's about to turn 50. I think, I think he would be disappointed if we didn't send humans to Mars before 2030. Mm. Um, That seems extraordinarily aggressive to me. Mm. Um, but I could see, I could see them launching a human mission to Mars in the early 2030s for sure. I would not, I would not bet against that, which would be extraordinarily soon. Mm.
1: But then, like uh, when when I imagine this as a multi-planetary spe- uh, species, I see us having you know like a m- maybe not just a base on Mars, maybe on Titan, like you mentioned, maybe on the Moon, maybe on a couple of other um, moons in the solar system. Uh, how do do you like genuinely see that as like a realistic possibility? Say even before like twenty one hundred.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know the first the first most expensive step is developing the transportation system. And so if you get that down, if all of a sudden it is possible to get hundred tons to low earth orbit for a certain amount of money, um, the, which is maybe a factor of 10 lower than what it was before, then all of a sudden you open up all these possibilities of things you could do in space that you couldn't envision before. And that I think is what's so powerful about SpaceX is that it has taken on this first most challenging step head on. And said, "We're going to solve this problem, and then that's going to open up the door to all these other activities." Mm. And they're having some success.
1: Mm. Like getting stuff off the grind is the biggest, uh, obviously, the biggest issue. Uh, how much? How much do do SpaceX like discuss 3D printing stuff once they actually get into orbit or in, into onto the moon or to, to Mars? Like, how much? How much do you think we could realistically 3D print once off? Well, the that's planet? not
0: yet that's not something SpaceX has really tackled. There are other private companies out there doing it like made in space that have thought a lot about that and have actually printed things on the international space station. Hmm. And so I think there's, you know, there's, there's lots of materials on the surface of the moon to work with um, and on Mars as well. Um, but we've got to go there and, and figure it out and, and, and experiment. Like I said, there's only so much you can do with like simulated soil from the moon or simulated start soil on Mars. You really have to be there, you know, hands-on trying it out
1: hmm yeah i mean it's a i do not want to volunteer for the first missions but i wish them well mm. <laughs> yeah. so w- what are the most interesting things then for people coming up um in in the next year or two to, to watch out for you mentioned um the those those um manned space flights or the the civilian space flights is there anything else we should be looking out for
0: um, I think the, the the two exciting things really exciting things this year to watch and see are first of all China has a rover Tianwen one in orbit around the surface of Mars um, I think sometime in, in late May or June they're going to try to land that that mission and no no space agency other than NASA has ever successfully soft landed a rover on the surface of Mars or even a lander for that matter um, so that's a huge. That's a huge step, um, for them, at uh, uh, their space program, something to watch for. And then, you know, the starship test that SpaceX is doing in, in South Texas, um, they've they're, they've been flying up to about 10 to 12 kilometers and trying to land and haven't been fully successful yet, but they're probably going to try again either later this week or next and then keep going. And so how fast that program moves forward also will be super interesting to look out, look out for.
1: So before we wrap up, do you want to tell people where they can get your book?
0: yeah i mean liftoff is is on amazon of course but it's in it should be in bookstores everywhere um and it's getting you know tremendous reviews on uh, on amazon and, and goodreads and everywhere else so it's, it seems to be people like it
1: well awesome i will link it in the description below so uh yeah eric thanks thanks a lot it's been uh, been a real real pleasure to chat about spacex
0: josh thank you so much i really enjoyed it no problem
1: thanks so much for listening If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, follow me on Twitter, or sign up to our mailing list. Thanks a lot to our sponsor, ExpressVPN, the number one most trusted VPN. Get lightning-fast connectivity with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries. Keep your browsing privacy safe with ExpressVPN and get a 35% discount on 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description below don't forget my book is now out and available to order on amazon and on bookshop.org that's brexit the establishment civil war and most importantly thanks for listening we'll see you next time